My name is Paul. I'm an investor in Houston, Texas. I've been a ministry partner with Desiring God for 18 years. You are listening to the Ask Pastor John podcast with John Piper. That is my friend Paul, and I want you to meet him in just a moment. But today, we feel the question from a listener named Mark who lives in Midlothian, Virginia. Mark writes this, Pastor John, I am eternally thankful for your life and ministry. My question is why Paul refuses to use the phrase, follow Jesus, when speaking about saving faith or in his imperatives to the church. Jesus spoke this way a lot. In Matthew 4.19, he said to his disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus' command to follow seems significant in all four Gospels. In Matthew 8.22, he says, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. In Mark 10.21, he says, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. In Luke 9.23, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And in John 10.27, he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Key texts, all of them. The Greek word for follow appears 89 times in the New Testament, but only once in Paul, in 1 Corinthians 10.4. Basically, Paul avoids the language of following Jesus. Why? And was this terminology more appropriate for those who could literally follow Christ during his ministry on earth? I think that last sentence, namely that while Jesus was here in his bodily presence, the words, follow me, had a very distinct and particular meaning with reference to Jesus' actual movements, physical movements, and behavior on the ground. I think that's very, very significant. Hmm. When, when he said to the fishermen, follow me, they left their nets and walked behind him. When he said to Levi, follow me, he left his money table and he walked behind him. The words, follow me, were used not only because what he taught was what they should do, but also because he was an itinerant preacher who would show them in his deeds as they walked around with him uh, how to live and how to minister. So I think Mark puts his finger on the issue uh, with that last sentence that the words, follow me, had a special physical meaning in the presence of Jesus' physical body when he was here. But let's, let's make a few other observations that I think take us deeper into why none of the apostles made a practice of describing Christians as Jesus followers, which is what a lot of people are, are doing today. And I would just wave a little yellow flag that it might not be a good idea to make a dominant practice today out of something that is almost non-existent among the apostles in the New Testament uh, after the resurrection. None of them called Christians followers of Jesus. So here's a few observations. Number one, in John thirteen thirty six, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. And Peter said, Lord, why cannot I follow you now? I lay down my life for you. And Jesus, in essence, said, no, you can't and you won't. So what did Jesus mean when he said, you cannot follow me now, but you will afterwards? 
Well, he meant, first of all, that I'm about to die on the cross, and you're not ready to follow me there. You're going to deny me tonight or, you know, three times. He says that uh, in the next verse. But what did he mean when he said, later you will follow me? As if to say, later you'll have the courage to die with me. Well, interestingly, in John 21, 17 to 19, after the resurrection of Jesus, uh, he says to Peter, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. And I think he's referring to the fact that Peter was crucified. You will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what death he was to glorify God, namely to be crucified like Jesus. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me, which I think is the answer to the question what Jesus meant back in chapter 13 when he said afterwards, you will follow me. Right now, I'm going to die. You're not ready. You're going to deny me tonight. Afterward, you will follow me into death. So on the one hand, Jesus declares, we have come to a point in my life here now where you can't follow me anymore. Not in the ordinary sense. I'm going to die and leave. But if you want to think in those terms, the way to think is that you will follow me into death. You will die with me. And Paul was indeed willing to think that way in Romans eight seventeen, where he said when he spoke of suffering with Jesus in this life and dying with Christ. The Christian life begins by dying with Jesus, Paul said. His second observation. With the departure of Jesus and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the dominant way of thinking about the relationship between Jesus and his people is not that we walk around behind him, but that he dwells in them, and they in him, and they enjoy union with him. Union with Christ by the Spirit replaces the relation to Christ by physical following. Hmm. Jesus said in John fourteen sixteen, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, I think that's an indirect way of saying that Jesus is with them now, and they can follow around behind him, and later, by his Spirit, he will be in them. Third observation. With Jesus' departure into heaven, his earthly life is conceived of as an example that we look back on to follow, rather than looking at the front of us as something to be followed. We imitate by looking backward at Jesus. Uh, for example, 1 Peter 2.21, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. So there has been a clear historical reversal of the way we orient to Jesus. He's not physically out there in front of us, walking 
for us to follow. His life and teaching are fixed in history as an event and a pattern in the past that we now look back on and in that sense can follow an example. But the word has a very different meaning when we use it that way than the way it was used by Jesus. Fourth observation. Jesus intended that his early followers, the apostles in particular, would complete the writing of a body of teaching that would be more complete than everything he said and did during his lifetime because it would include a full interpretation by his authoritative spokesman of his death and resurrection and the way the church should live in the light of it. That body of teaching, the New Testament, is now a fuller witness to be followed than the life and teachings of Jesus considered by themselves. So Jesus himself would consider it a retrograde action, going backward in redemptive history to isolate the earthly life and teachings of Jesus for our following. But instead, the totality of the New Testament, informed by the old, is the charter for the church's life. It is what we follow. And in doing so, in that sense, follow Jesus since he's behind it. Last observation I would make is that the the more profound summons of the New Testament is not that Jesus is a teacher to be followed, but he is a living, personal identity to be put on, like a garment or a new self. Galatians 3.27, as many as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Romans 13, 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Ephesians 4, 24, put on the new self. So Christ is our new identity. So the new identity of discipleship is something far more profound than the impression you get with the words, follow Jesus. I think the apostles considered those words inadequate to capture the mystery of Christ in you, the hope of glory, as Paul calls it in Colossians 1.27. Very good. Thank you, Pastor John. And Mark, thank you for the wonderful question today. Well, at the start of this episode, you heard from Paul, a precious friend of mine into the ministry, a household name to us at DG. Paul joins us right now over the phone from Houston. Paul, thank you for your time. Give us some reasons why. Um, why do you support the ministry of Desiring God? I financially support the ministry because it cost-effectively reaches millions of people with biblically faithful content covering a broad spectrum of issues. For me, the APJ podcast has provided practical pastoral help for daily living and application of theological issues to life. I regularly use the podcast in ministry to others. I know you do. And uh, it's an encouragement to hear how you use this podcast to serve others. Paul, you're a numbers guy. Give us some numbers for why you would encourage listeners to consider becoming a ministry partner with Desiring God. What catches your attention with regard to uh, DG? 200 million DG resources were accessed in the 12 months ended June 2020. Hmm. That's on track to grow again this year. We've all experienced accelerated use of technology to accomplish ministry over the past six months. 
Desiring God is well positioned on several content distribution platforms to minister around the world to millions of people who need to hear the gospel. We'd love to see you join the team. You can give with confidence because Desiring God is a careful steward of donor contributions. Paul, thank you. We so appreciate what you do for the ministry. You've served DG in so many different capacities and uh, are a key ministry partner. We are really grateful to God for you. My pleasure. I love uh, doing it. Hope to see you again soon. Amen. Yeah, see you soon, brother. And if you want to join Paul in becoming a ministry partner so we can make even more DG resources and spread those resources even more aggressively around the world, you can join us right now. Go to desiringgod.org forward slash donate. That's desiringgod.org forward slash donate. We appreciate it. I'm Tony Ranke. We'll see you back here on Wednesday. Thanks for listening.